Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. I am super excited. This is the first of a new series we're doing on the podcast, a series we are calling Christian Ease. Now, if you've heard that term, you know it refers to the language that we uniquely speak at church. If you've been around church for any number of years, you know that there's kind of a specific language that we have. There are words that we use that you don't really hear anywhere else, and we say them so often that I think sometimes we don't stop and think and go back and ask ourselves, what do these words actually mean? And so for the next four weeks, we are going to ask and answer that question. What do some of these words that we say all the time actually mean? In this first episode, I sit down with Garrick and we talk about the word fellowship. Fellowship is a very churchy word, but it did not start as a churchy word. It actually began far outside the church and was brought into the church by our early church fathers. It's a fascinating story, and I hope that you are excited to learn something and excited to hear from Garrick's wisdom. He is a guy who has thought about fellowship a lot, specifically how Coastline can engage in great fellowship, God-honoring fellowship, and fellowship that sees and welcomes everybody. So if that sounds like a conversation you want to listen to, I have great news. This is the conversation you're going to get. And before I continue, I will I'll just say the movie Red Dawn is mentioned a lot, the 80s movie Red Dawn. And so if you are not familiar with that movie, my recommendation would be pause this podcast, go read a synopsis, watch the trailer, or maybe even watch the movie. And then you can jump back in and fully understand the breadth of fellowship. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week and every single week after that. Welcome. To the Coastline Covenant podcast, we are doing a new series on here, which you heard all about in the intro, and it is called Christian Ease, which is kind of addressing this idea that at church, in church, we speak a different language. If you were to go outside of the church and say some of the things that we say all of the time in church, you would be looked at like a crazy person. Garrick, what are some examples of Christian Ease that you can think of off the top of your head? Probably a lot of theological terms. Justification. Justification. Sanctification. Yeah. You go to yeah. Arby's and you're like, oh man, this sandwich is going to justify me. They're like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. What's happening? My favorite. What's your favorite? My favorite is I see that hand in the altar call. Sinner's Prayer. Sinner's which Prayer. Is an ep- a future episode actually of this series <laughs> nice. talking with your wife about accepting Jesus into your heart. We, we have a little laugh about that because mm. it is such a funny piece of language. I see that hand. Like what? Yeah. You're outside. You're, you know. Hanging out with your friends at the beach. I see that hand. It's like, what are you talking yeah. about? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Like, what, what, what is happening? You yeah. know, these are these are churchy words. Grace, I think, is another kind of churchy word. It does live outside of church, but you don't necessarily hear it a whole lot. Yeah. What think. do you think about hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah is a very much a church term. Yeah. In worship and whatnot. And yet. Definitely is. I think of like, the, you know, the song. the song Hallelujah. The Leonard that came Cohen out, song. Yeah. Right. So. It's, it's in the water stream of, of culture as well. And that's what I think is going to be probably the most consistent thing that comes up in all of these conversations, that these words, if they didn't exist outside of church, like if, if they don't exist outside of church now, they were found outside of church and brought in. And fellowship is actually a really good example of that. This mm-hmm. is an extremely churchy word that does not really find its origin in the church. It finds it outside of the church in kind of the political sphere. Um, one commentator I read calls uh, fellowship, especially as you see in Acts 2.42, communism of love. And so, Garrick, right now, it'd be probably a good time for you to say that you're a communist and that you believe. Oh, now, now's the time to come out of the closet? <laughs> 
could you imagine that I was, was on the other side of Red Dawn. Yeah, oh, Sorry, wow. Man. That is so I was funny. a kid rooting for the Russians as they dropped into the local high school like, this is a horrible, to take over the U.S. This is a horrible movie because <laughs> I would be in there with, with the communists. What a good thing to mention Red Dawn right now because that is something that is not a church word, but man, that's a, that's a word yeah. we don't use enough. That's no. a phrase. We don't I use aged enough. myself with that one. Yeah. Do you see that? anybody, anybody like 40, 45 and under is like, wait, what? Cause I was just on the cusp. Like I was pretty young when I saw that I must've been like 11 or 12, something like that. Were you scared? Oh yeah. Really? I, well, I, I really felt like before I know it, Russians are going to fall from the sky and take over my home. And the threat of communism was so scary to you that you just decided to join. He said, if they're, if they're coming, I might as well be <laughs> yeah, coming. exactly. The idea of fellowship, the idea of participation, common, as you would see in the Greek, it, it existed outside of the church and the church brought it in. And I think you're going to see that a lot in these terms that we talk about. Like they were words in the stream of culture that the church saw beautiful pieces of the language or the definition or the reasons that these words were used and brought them in. And I hope that I say that and that doesn't scare people because we've been doing that as Christians for the whole time we've had church. I mean, think about worship music, for example, like there's a great quote, Billy Corgan, singer, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, he was getting interviewed by CNN years ago. They said like, what is the last great rock song going to be about? And Billy Corgan said, God, God is the most interesting thing anybody could ever write about. The interviewer kind of laughs and says, okay, so what would you say about Christian music? And Billy Corgan says, here's what I'd say about Christian music. Stop trying to sound like you too. And it's funny because for a long time, Christian music had very distinct you too type things, but we would never say that was bad, right? right? And it's the same thing with language, like especially a word like fellowship. But before we get specifically into fellowship, I want to talk kind of about the whole impetus behind this series about these Christian ease words right now in the Christian culture, like the idea of like deconstruction and going back and like recasting, especially how you grew up in church in a negative light and having like influence your adulthood. That's something that is coming up a lot. And I think people use language as a really easy thing to look back and say, I can't believe I ever said that. I can't believe I ever believed in that word. So I want to ask you, Garrick, as a pastor, when is like Christianese hurtful? When, when is like saying something that you don't really know what it means or you don't know where it comes from or saying it too much? When, if ever, is that hurtful? from the church. You always have to be careful with your language because there are always unintended consequences of things from what you say, mm -hmm. right? Like it happens when you're up on stage giving a sermon and somebody hears you say something and because they're putting two and two together in their own head and you're like, I didn't say that, nor was I trying to say that. Yeah. So that, that's just me giving a shout out to the reality that we often miss each other and the importance of clarification of what the language you do hear and receive. But I often feel like it. We to answer your question, how can that language often be hurtful? I think we can, if we're not careful, we can create a in the know crowd mm. and a crowd that's there that's not in the know. So you create kind of this dividing wall of um, I'm in the know and I'm not, right? Like I'm in the community and I'm not. If we all have a common vernacular and a language that doesn't recognize, we're constantly trying to onboard, if you will, based, you know, on, uh, you know, podcasts that we'll hear about at some point. Um, we're always trying to share the gospel and bring people to this place of surrendering their life to Christ and, 
seeking to live in his kingdom and follow him. Yeah. So knowing that when you have, so when you're familiar, think about it this way, when you're familiar with people, think about your own marriage, your own roommate, you often have words that have very significant meaning and you use them again and again, whether inside jokes or just a word that reflects upon a, a moment in time that you shared collectively together, right? So it could harken back to like the trip you took or the vacation you took. And then so the person standing next to you who doesn't have that experience is going, wait, what? Like, and all of a sudden your language, instead of drawing them in, has put them on the outside. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I can easily see of, of the language while trying to be helpful in some ways can be hurtful because it can be intentionally or unintendedly uh, exclude people and make them feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm in the room, but I'm not part of this group. And I think that can be really not only hurtful to them, but it's obviously uh, antithetical or hurtful to our overall mission, which is how do we welcome people with love? That's what I was going to say. The irony is that Christianity is supposed to be so inclusive, yet we use these words that are so exclusive to a specific community. I think back to when I was at Biola, I took a class called Theology of Mission. Mm -hmm. And our first assignment was to write our testimony without using Christianese. And so, I mean, it was, and you go up, it's pass fail. And it was, he could basically like dialogue with you while you were speaking. And so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Nope. Next, say something different. Like that, the idea of like a Christian home, what is that even, you know, like, but that's a common testimony that people would use in order to get people into the church. You know, Mm -hmm. I was saved at a young age. It was at a camp. I prayed the prayer. Prayer, what prayer? What are you talking about? Prayed (laughs) the prayer. Yeah. So these, these are all things that I think are really interesting. And I think if you've been around church for a long time, you just take it as kind of a foregone conclusion. Well, we speak this way and these are the words. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I didn't start this podcast series to say, we need to change everything we say at church. I am doing this for the people who have been around church, heard these words, and this is me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ask because I've heard it so many times. It'd be foolish for me to be like, hey, what does fellowship mean? We say it all the time. (laughs) I have no idea what this word means. Pray the prayer, you know, covenant. What what are these words actually saying? And so this is just an opportunity for us to come alongside people and say, we use a lot of words. We want you to be in. And here's what these words mean mean and by no means are they bad are they words we want to get out of the church lexicon right they're just words we want you to know where they came from and why we say them so much but i asked you to be on the fellowship one because there is such a communal aspect to this word it's it's Mm -hmm. just basically baked into the definition and you here at coastline help facilitate a lot of fellowship specifically through like our community groups and things like that. So Garrick, when I say the word fellowship, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, For myself or what I think for kind of like the average Joe and Sally in church. Well, why not both? Okay. All right. So Garrick and then Joe and then Sally. (laughs) I'm going to do it in reverse order. (laughs) Sally, Joe, Garrick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think for your kind of average, like, hey, I'm a church attender, they they hear the word fellowship and they think of a fun gathering that we are going to be able to connect and talk to each other, right? That that's the understanding of, hey, we're, we're gathered right? Like it's, it's, we're doing an event, we're rather gathering at the beach or we're gathering at church. Um, And so I think one of the first pieces that if you just ask people like, hey, what does fellowship mean? 
I think the first thing they think about is like, we are gathered together, hmm. right? And and that's true. Like that is an aspect of fellowship. Um, but I think it goes much deeper than that, right? Like fellowship has an understanding or a depth to its, its uh, semantic range, if you will, that goes much deeper than just kind of gathering together. So- do you, do you want me to kind of jump so into it, that? That's that's the average, but then what's yours? Yeah, I think, well, I think mine would be, it would be you're gathering with an express purpose, right? It's a, as we gather, we share, meaning that you and I, if we're enjoying fellowship, there should be something happening where you are lending yourself to the group or to our time together and I am doing the same. So it's more than just being together or just sharing information. It is knowing that I'm here and I am committed to this group that I'm a part of and I am lending myself in mutuality to it and to its objectives and purpose and goals. So it asks something of you. It asks something of you. Fellowship's not just showing up. It's not just, hey, I'm here. Great. It's there's actually a piece of it that requires something from you. Yes. And I I think the, the, the first word that I would put around like a deeper understanding of what fellowship really means and what fellowship really does is this term participation. Mm -hmm. Like if you are, are gathered together, but you are not participating, you're not really in fellowship. There's this aspect Mm -hmm. where participation, if you go into the definition of where you see this word used in scripture, Philippians two, one, first John one, three, Uh, verse three and verse six, talking about us having fellowship with the spirit, fellowship with Christ, fellowship with God. It has this idea of we are participating in something, right? Right. Like here would be a helpful idea. Um, During COVID, I had this idea of starting something that would encourage people in a relationships, both roommates, important relationships, like roommates, friends, particularly like people who are married. And so I went and grabbed on Instagram and Facebook, the together life, right? And the idea was how do I encourage people? Never got it off the ground. Maybe someday I will. But I, the, the vision was how do I help people really enjoy participation in relationship, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I grabbed that because I think the word in English together is a lot like the word fellowship. Like when I say, okay, uh, we're going to be together. What do you think of? Uh, hanging out. Hanging out, right? Yeah. Like the first thing you think about is being in a room together, doing something together. You think proximity, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't have proximity, then maybe you're not together, right? But togetherness has such a rich or deeper understanding and definition, right? Like you and I can be together in this room, but it doesn't mean that we are participating together. Right, we're so together think, with people all the time. Yeah, you in think of case. your roommate. You have proximity with your roommate. It doesn't mean that you really share and and participate with each other in this relationship, in this friendship, or particularly in a marriage. You can do marriage side by side and quote unquote be together but together can also mean this like united front. We share, we participate in everything that we're doing together, right? Mm. So I think fellowship is a lot like the word together. There's this baseline understanding of like, oh, we're sharing common space. We have proximity. We came to the same prayer meeting. We went to the same 
dinner and potluck and things like that. But the real understanding part of fellowship is, no, you are there and you are participating. You are giving yourself to an individual and a group saying, I am part of this. I'm not just hanging around the outside watching it happen. And your really well put, eloquent, I almost called it a speech, the way you just defined <laughs> fellowship there, it, it, that is actually so helpful because that is, I think, what the early church saw in the word that made it so attractive and ripe to come in the church. Because mm. like I said, I, I made the joke of communism, but the idea yeah. of fellowship is your involvement in the state. In, in the common, in, mm-hmm. in the Greek, the word fellowship is koinonia and the yep. word koinon is in the middle of that or in, I guess in the root of that. And that is the word for common. And that is how you would understand the idea of the state. You have Greek philosophers, uh, Pythagoras, you have Aristotle, Plato, all talking about the way to be a meaningful human is your participation in the common, your mm-hmm. koinonia. Mm-hmm. So for an Aristotle, or uh, I mean, specific, specifically Aristotle, they were like, abolish private property because that's not how you can participate in the common. The common is you bringing what you have to the state. Uh, and then other people fleshing that out saying, well, no, you can't have private property, but if it's too much, then it's not, you know, and then that's how you really honestly get to communism or, or anything like that. But yeah. it's fascinating to think about, you could sit with, with a Greek philosopher and say like, yeah, your participation for the group is important and, and, and it's crucial and, and it costs something and it's more than just being together. And they'd be like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just the common is different for both of them. But I think that's fascinating because it is such a great idea and it's such an attractive idea, but it is something that it is a great theory I want to come and I want to participate in church and I want to sacrifice and be with people, not just together, but actually be with people. But the actual living fellowship idea is, it's kind of hard. It's very hard. Yeah. So as a pastor, as a pastor, what would you say to someone who's like, man, I love the idea of fellowship, but I'm too scared to jump in. Mm -hmm. Like what, what do I do? Yeah. What do I do? Help me out. (laughs) You guys had such a good podcast about Red Dawn and I want (laughs) to, I want to bring people over and watch it with them or or however that might look with fellowship. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the old adage of, I don't have a good answer for you if you're, you're wanting a deeper communal experience, right? Particularly as it relates to the church. So let's like bring it back to coastline. If I'm looking for greater, uh, fellowship, right? Connection um, with other people. And yet I don't know how to jump into this participation and sharing. That's tough because yeah. it really, unfortunately, like it or not, it's your, in, in most cases, the degree of which you feel as part of the common has to do with how much you have lent yourself to the common. Right. And there's no way around that. Like yep. you might get lucky and have somebody like ideally, let's say you walk into a community group and somebody has deep roots in the community group and they grab you and basically lend their relational capital, so to speak, to you. That's good. I mean, they can do that. Right. Yeah. And I think that would be the ideal. If everybody's thinking about, am I known in this community? Here is a new person more than just meeting them. Hi, I'm so-and-so that would be the first step. 
the next step would be how do I bring you into the relationships that I've given myself to so that you can enjoy what we have fostered? Because I think that helps spur like, oh, you guys are good friends. And we forget that that good friendship didn't just happen overnight. It happened because you walked through hard times. It happened because you built trust and all of that stuff takes time. And it takes, like you said earlier, it takes cost, your time, your commitment, and your trust to say, I will spend time with you. I will share my life with you. Um, so that, I mean, ideally that would be hope, would be helpful. I would love to, if everybody had that vision of how do we build deeper koinonia? How do we build deeper fellowship? Looking for the person who doesn't have it or is struggling and needs to grow in it and say, part of my participation in the common is to help you take a step toward greater participation in what we hold in common. Not just me going deeper, but me having eyes to look around and go, oh, you're fairly new to this community group. You're fairly new to this youth group. You're, You're fairly new to Coastline as a whole. I'm actually going to not just run to my friends, but in the awkwardness post service, I'm going to grab somebody in conversation and then I'm going to introduce you to people I know so that it, like anything else, it gives them a model for like, oh, you guys know each other. I could be invited into this. But I'll end the whole thing by saying, if you're looking for koinonia and true fellowship without having to give anything from yourself to the common, it's not going to happen. Exactly. And I think there's a mis- misunderstanding of like fellowship means popularity. And it means like being boisterous and the most like sought out person at church. And that's not what you're saying. And in fact, fellowship could exist one-on-one, right? Like it could exist in relationship. And oftentimes what you're giving is not the uh, physical or like material cost, but it's the social cost. It's the psychological cost. It's the emotional cost of I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. And that's what for someone who's listening and it's like, yeah, I'm engaging in fellowship. Well, then your job is to open your eyes and see those people who are having more of a difficult time doing that. And when someone does step out and risk being seen, you see them. And I think that that's the cost on both ends. You have to risk seeing somebody, but you also have to risk being seen. And that's, that's good fellowship. And I think something that you've, you hit on a little bit is your decision to engage in fellowship. You will decide how worth it it is based on how you view your own fellowship with Christ. And I think Paul nails that. You said in Philippians 2, Philippians 2 is a great passage about unity and humility, but uh, two one. therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing, koinonia, mm-hmm. in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And so what Paul is saying is like, if you really want to capitalize on your love for Christ, love others. Like basically you can draw a line. How well am I loving others? Well, it's going to kind of depend on how much I am engaging in my relationship with Christ. And I think that's so fascinating because that's what takes fellowship to that spiritual realm of like, it doesn't just come from your being an extrovert or being excited to talk to people. It comes from Christ's work and his love in your own heart. And so how would you explain not fellowship with others, but fellowship with Christ? So you, you've said fellowship with others is like sharing, engaging, being with them. What does it mean to have fellowship with Christ? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd go back to this theme of 
participation and sharing. So when in in First John, right, one, three, and six, where it talks about we have fellowship with God and fellowship with his son, right? I look at that and go, okay, we have koinonia with God and with Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean we're just in the room together? Yeah. Right? Like I'm now in proximity somehow, like yeah, the simplest of terms, like I'm going to believe in a resurrected life and when I die, I'm going to go have proximity in the new heaven and new earth with God. Yes, I think that's part of it. But again, getting back to a deeper understanding of, okay, so it means participation. Mm-hmm. So now I, as God is saying, we have fellowship with him. He is saying, you now participate with me, that you and I have participation in this uh, eternal uh, what I want to say, relational dynamic with God and with Jesus. Right. So we have to then begin to go, okay, what, what does it mean that I participate? Right. Like it means that I enjoy, uh, all of the things that God brings by his character and by his power. And, and just, I, I, again, I've already said character. So his character (laughs) and his power, right? Like the things that he does, like, I now participate in those. Um, and that's why, again, you go back to where we are in Galatians or where he does in Romans 8. Like, we're more than just servants. We are his children. Co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Yeah. We have full participation as his children and as part of the family. So it means that, you know, Paul will lay it out in the in the context of our salvation and say we participate with Christ in his death and in his resurrection right, out of Romans 6. That's what we celebrate in baptism, that we participate literally with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So um, I look at that and I say, okay, this fellowship that I enjoy with God is not just a list of rules to be followed. Um, Mm. It is a relational engagement that necessitates that I participate. Yeah, Maybe this is an easy answer, but it's clear when you think about sacrifice and fellowship, it's clear what Christ sacrificed in order to be in fellowship with us. What do we sacrifice to be in fellowship with Christ? Autonomy. Yeah. Right? Like it's, we give up the, I can go and do whatever it is I want to go and do. Um, however you want to frame that. I'm the captain of my own ship, you know, the, the king of my own kingdom, that sort of thing. The leader of my own communist rebellion <laughs> exactly. in Colorado. <laughs> Taking out, you know, <laughs> high school students. Um, I love how we have that as a running theme. Oh that's, yeah. That's, that's really good. Never going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I Does, think, I think that's, what do you think? That's beautiful. I mean, it's just like, it's so good. And I think the, the parallel, I not even the parallel, the joining of the idea of fellowship with Christ and fellowship with others. It's just so easy to see, like you give up, you give up autonomy when you have fellowship with Christ. Okay, great. But then to have really good fellowship with others, you kind of also give up autonomy. Yeah. Because you're trusting them to see you. And literally in the case of the early church, you're trusting them to meet your needs. Acts 2.42 and even Acts 4.32, like the church gives up, nothing was anybody's. It was so that common, so the group could have everything they need because they saw that Christ had given them everything they need. And so the line you can draw between the fellowship with Jesus and the fellowship with others is really, it's really sweet. It's really cool to see. And we reduce it. We don't talk about it enough when we just say like, Hey, I'm going to engage in fellowship. I told this to high schoolers the other night, but, um, 
we were talking about fellowship. We're doing Acts 242 in youth group mm-hmm. this fall. And I said, I really like the word fellowship because it starts with an F and so does food. And I love alliteration. And so <laughs> yes, I can you do say love like, alliteration. I could say like, uh, it's going to be a great time of food and fellowship and fun. It's like, yeah. boom, that's Dude. a great event. Yeah. But then it doesn't mean anything. It's just as like <laughs> it, fellowship is synonymous with pizza at that point, which right. it's not. Right. And that and that's the base level of it just means we're going to gather. Yeah. But the real understanding of, of going back to how we participate or, or fellowship, it means that we actually participate with God in the work that he's doing. And we participate in what we build together as a church, mm-hmm. right? So we're never just a consumer sitting on the back, but going, no, like if you walk into a situation, a small group, a community group, a church, and you think, oh, this isn't great. Koinonia would be this idea of you, God has sent you there because you're part of the solution. Yes. Not to back away and go, oh, that's not me. Those aren't my people. But to look at it and go, well, maybe God has me here because I'm supposed to participate and share in common the gifts that I bring so that the common can be built up collectively together. That's a good one. That is a good answer. And I I just think this is so relevant for our people, but I also want to zoom out a little bit and say, let's say someone's listening to this, they're not super involved with Coastline, maybe not involved a lot at a church, but Christian love Christ and want to follow him and they want to engage in fellowship. How do you do that outside of a church context? You mean like outside of uh, like church relationships? Right. Or or outside of just like being part of a church service? I guess both. I'm I'm thinking of a person who's not part of a community group, but really wants to engage in fellowship. And they're not going to join a community group. They're busy Tuesday, Thursday. This is a busy season for them. Right. What are ways that Christians who aren't super connected to that part of a church, how can they still engage in fellowship? Yeah. Well, I, I would say that there's a number of ways. Obviously, there's no one right way to go after it. Here are a couple ideas that came to my mind immediately. Sometimes it's calling people together who have not been called together. Like you have a unique, what scripture would call oikos of like sphere of influence around you, people that you are connected to. What does it look like to not only gather them at a barbecue, at a baseball game, at a dinner, food, you know, but then to do so intentionally to say, not only am I gathering them so that we can look face to face and share some life and laugh, but I'm doing that so that I can actually participate and lend myself in relationship to this circle of uh, people that are connected to me that might loosely fit along the scale of, you know, friendship, right? So that'd be one aspect. The other one would be, I do think we all, I don't think very many people are absolutely alone. They just don't take the time to think about where do I already have some relationships started and what does it look like for me to go and quote unquote, like build koinonia with these individuals? So like uh, taking a hobby that you're already doing. I surf, I play pickleball, I bowl. Wow, I'm, I'm really going after very, you know, popular sports here. Um, pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. It, it is. And I play a lot of it, yeah. which it's good. But I look at my life and go, okay, so I'm there how am I intentional about getting to know people and and building? And it's not about being an extrovert. I mean, you can be an introvert and invite people to know you as you share 
as you've said before, as you share space with them. So yeah. part of it is not necessarily having to go and build some kind of new group, I guess is my thing. You can, uh, but another aspect is looking at what are the what are the groups that I'm already connected to? And then sometimes it's more about taking a deeper level of koinonia, understanding of fellowship, and saying it's more than just us being gathered. It's me uh, lending myself to this common whole and calling other people to do the same, right? Yeah. And you can do that without creating a new group. Yeah, and also you could even go one step beyond that and say it's not even about the common group you have but it or a group you have already but like talents you have already like and sacrificing those just being for yourself for the greater of yes. the group like i think we had uh now friend of the podcast therese manning on recently uh -huh. and she said hospitality was hers yeah her gift and that's how she engages in fellowship she's not like out here preaching sermons and like oh hey i i'm part of this group and i'm bringing people in but it's more of a like this is what I love and I'm sacrificing my space, mm -hmm. my home. So people come in mm -hmm. and can experience love. I, I think that's really, really beautiful. There's another piece you see in scripture, which is financial. You, you see Paul, especially at the end of Romans, talk about how there's a common sharing of goods uh, yep. and monetary things so that the church can benefit. Uh, and I want to speak to the inverse of that, someone more like me who doesn't have a ton of those things to give. What would you say to someone who's like, I like the idea of you know financial fellowship, but I don't have a lot to give. Mm -hmm. How can they still participate? I would, I would challenge them and say, you may not have a lot to give, but you still have something mm. to give, right? Like, and I, and I say that very lovingly because I think biblically out of Malachi 3.15, God says, test me in this. Like, mm. see if you don't give financially to my work and my kingdom and see if I don't find ways to open up the storehouse of blessing to your life. Now, that's not like a name it and claim it and kind of right, wealth. Right, right. It's just a general principle of you reap what you sow, mm. And this promise that as you give generously into the kingdom, uh, God finds ways to generously take care of. I mean, I've just never seen anybody be so generous that they're without more to give. Mm. Most of the people that I know that give financially to their community group, to their church, to, you know, again, God's kind of kingdom work. Um, I have not found one person that's like, oh no, they, they now lack resource. Yeah. You just can't outgive God. Wow. And so my encouragement would be, yeah, coming out of Romans, I think 15, mm -hmm. like you see that term koinonia, it's this contribution that you have a financial contribution to make, uh, to benefit the mission and the goodness of the collective whole of God's church. Right. So my encouragement is to, to live into that. And again, it's the widow's might. Like, mm. so you might not have a lot of resource, right? But so a lot to you might be five dollars. Yeah. But it's the heart attitude of knowing I can contribute. I can give to this. I can bring resource into this, and it's going to bless the whole. And sometimes that's, hey, I'm going to be the one to buy the drinks. I'm going to be the one to buy the food. You know, it's not always kind of the tithe and offering in the church, although that's part of it. Um, but what does it look like some, somebody who's got minimal resources to say, I'm still called to live into deep koinonia, deep fellowship, which means I contribute financially to the overall whole in this space. Yeah, that's, right? that's really, 
really convicting and also I think super compelling as someone who's listening to this probably is like, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. There, there is some fellowship that I can engage in on a deeper level and it is going to cost me something, but it won't cost me everything. Cost God everything to be in fellowship with me. Yeah. It, it costs me something, but the Bible calls us to that. It yeah. calls us that idea of sacrifice. Yeah. It's just that reminding idea. you, you, you've got something and be open-handed with it. Yeah. Like I just think of some people in my community group that when we meet, they just bring like, it's supposed to be, I think like a spread of snacks, but sometimes it's like, dude, this is like full on dinner. Nice. Like this is nicer than what I'm going to eat for dinner if I eat. But I honestly like had on my group meets on Thursdays and uh, some, I don't even eat on Thursdays anymore because most of the time people just bring these more elaborate dishes that are appetizers, but, or, or even full on dinners that I'm just like, that is, that's fellowship. Like it's not just us gathered in the room, but it's what they have contributed to say, I bring this to the common table. Yeah. It's just, I mean, shout out to, I love that Therese is a, a, a friend of the podcast. Um, but I mean, folks like that, that carry that blessing, Leanne De La Pena, yeah. Mike, uh, Sherry mm-hmm. has been involved and I know I'm missing others. Um, the Ferguses who are oh, in yeah. my community group, people that have, have been generous with, um, making, giving, baking, serving food as a sense of this is my contribution to a family that I love. That's fellowship. That's, that's fellowship. And that, and partly, you know, like I wondered too, if like potluck was going to make the podcast as like a term (laughs) because it's such a churchy term, right? Like, Hey, we're going to have a potluck. That's funny. And it just seems for me, like as a kid who grew up in the eighties, like I think the smaller the church, the more potlucks you tend to have. For sure. But I think we had a lot more potlucks because we didn't have DoorDash and we didn't have Grubhub. Yeah. So we had a lot more things coming out of people's kitchen as I was a kid growing up. And it, in some ways it's kind of cheesy or harkens back to an earlier day. And yet I look at it and I go, but it's so beautiful. Mm. It's this physical reminder that we all have need. We need to eat. And it's this reminder that big or small, good or bad, you know, we all have something that we can bring to the table and that's what happens in a potluck. Yeah. So it's anyway. beautiful. I mean, that could have been it. We could have done fellowship slash potluck. <laughs> Maybe this episode will be that. Yeah. So Garrick, last question. Yeah. Um, I think we've really gotten to the behind why we say the word fellowship. This is all of these things are kind of wrapped up in the term. And, and I want to land in kind of a practical space of saying, how do we develop the type of fellowship that we've been talking about on this episode? Mm. I think listening to this podcast is the first step. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. No, because you go back to Acts 2.42 and what does it say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, if it was easy to do and you could just go make it happen without any... Mm. Uh, work or intentionality, they wouldn't use the word be devoted to. Right. Like it takes commitment. Devoted is love and loyalty and commitment like all wrapped together, right? So it takes this level of perspective. Like I, I would say, so how do we go build this? It takes everybody who calls Coastline home or a place I'm checking out to understand it's not just me walking into however I interact with this community going, what do I get from it? But walking in going, what do I give and how do I participate? It's that it's, it's, you know how I, earlier you asked me, I forget the question. And I said, autonomy, we give up. autonomy. I think fellowship is calling our Western 
world out of our individualism into kind of a more understanding that our brothers and sisters understand, if I can generalize in the East, more of a community, uh, we are a community together, right? More of a communal society, right? So I walk into a room and we're initially thinking, hey, what do I get from this? Do I fit? It's question number one. Question number two of if I'm going to stay is what am I getting from it? Instead of saying, I'm walking into a space, instead of asking, do I fit? Asking, how can I be here to help others fit? Yep. And then asking the second question of not like, you know, hey, what am I getting from it? But what do I give and how do I participate? So I think that that perspective and carrying that perspective everywhere we go, I would say is probably the, the most important thing of actually how do we help uh, this church coastline be a place that fellowship is real, koinonia is deep, and not just something like, well, we're gathering in a room, yeah, you know, but it's it's hearts and minds that look at it and go, I'm here. And I'm looking around and I'm looking for my way to participate, to uh, help the whole and help the individual across from me. And when we say fellowship, that's what we're trying to wrap in there. Yes. And it's a helpful word. And I think we keep it. I think we keep fellowship in the church lexicon. We, we should. We should. I, I didn't know that it was in question that it, <laughs> well, yeah. that it should be out. Yeah. But you know what we need to do is hopefully on this podcast, what you have done is you have deepened everybody's understanding to what the word really means. Yeah. And then let's go after that and not the like, hey, we're in a room eating pizza. Hey, it just like, happens. Hey, that's that's part of it. Like maybe it wouldn't happen if we didn't have the room and have the pizza. Right. But let's do the room and the pizza and the participation. That my friend. And that's some great, awesome. that's some great alliteration. Wow. For you. <laughs> wow. I am standing on my two feet. I am jumping up and down. Like I just <laughs> eviscerated a high school full of communists coming to take over <laughs> with that. Garrick, thank you so much. I knew you were the right guy for this conversation. I, I so enjoyed this and I think people listening probably enjoyed this as well. And, uh, yeah, this is just great. And I really hope that we can have given people just a sense of the the breadth and scope of the idea of fellowship and how it starts with our fellowship with Christ and it comes out and how we love others. So we're going to stop recording now. And I think Eric and I have a movie to catch. We have some we do. food to eat we and do. we have a lot to, to cover. We do. So thanks for listening. And we will, uh, we'll see you next week and every single week after that. 